The upcoming presentation is a two-man power trip of wrestling podcast production. Welcome to the Business of the Business Podcast. I am your host, JP John Paz, with Zoom Man Power Trip of Wrestling. And of course, joining me is the other host of the show, Mr. Trump Mania himself, Mr. Lavi Margolin. Lavi, welcome and how are you doing today, sir? I'm doing great. It's spring. The weather is beautiful. Hopefully, the world's taking a turn for the better. And uh, love to uh, talk about all these topics we have today. Man, you got a lot uh, on the on the board here, if you will. There's so much to talk about. I feel like uh, you went a little crazy this week. You, is there so much to talk about or what? I don't know what happened. <laughs> you know, usually what I do for those that follow me on Twitter is when I find a good story or something interesting, I share it. So then I start looking through it. Well, what would be good for the podcast? And I was thinking, I don't think I have that much this week. And then suddenly I look and I have more than I think I've ever, than we've ever had. So um, I think we do have a lot to talk about. Yeah, you weren't kidding when you said you had like 30 topics. Uh, I think it's right around that mark. It's pretty crazy. Yeah. Um, you know, sometimes the uh, the little stories um, kind of slip through the cracks, but I think those are the most interesting ones. So a lot of those floating around this week. So let's start off with a little NWA going on obviously they had their pay-per-view last week but let's talk about billy corgan talking about how aew is proving that there is an alternative out there billy corgan basically saying that tony khan has proven there is a market for another vision of professional wrestling what did he mean by this what's going on with billy nwa and little aew yeah, so our friends at Mandatory Wrestle Zone had a uh, an interview with Billy, and um, I thought it was interesting that he was saying uh, Tony Khan, you know, his success with AEW on TNT, of course, has really proven that there's another vision of wrestling. And, you know, I feel that Billy has been trying to demonstrate his vision for a long time, and it, it hasn't been easy, um, starting all the way back with talking to Paul Heyman about ECW, if I remember correctly, that he was in the audience, they would show him on TV. Later, Billy told the story of, of how Heyman was trying to charge him you know, multiple millions of dollars <laughs> to mm -hmm. buy a small percentage of ECW, something like that. And then, of course, he started Rev Pro, and then um, uh, became involved with TNA and was their president for a few months and then different lawsuits were happening and then uh you know eventually buying um the nwa and growing that um having a good run and then hitting COVID and different controversies so but he's really had um unique visions of, of how he sees wrestling i don't know if they've always been able to be delivered but I found it really interesting he was saying that because I think before Tony Khan emerged, when people would think about, hmm, who would have the, 
the power to start a competitor, you would think about somebody like Billy Corgan, because assuming he has millions and millions of dollars from Smashing Pumpkins and he loves wrestling. That's one of the things that's so interesting. Like big, famous celebrity, famous singer. He loves the business, was dying to get in the business, kind of got the runaround from Heyman, kind of getting screwed from TNA and Impact. And all of a sudden the NWA comes along and he's rocking and rolling or he's trying to build this thing up. And then all of a sudden COVID happens and they're kind of cut short for a while now making the comeback. But it's one of those things where it's like uh, he's looking at AEW thinking that that's what he could be or maybe it's what he's striving to be. Yeah, and I, I'm very curious um, uh, to see who is helping to run the NWA, as, as we've talked about. I don't imagine Billy's doing it day to day. I'm wondering if some of the wrestlers that are under contract have more of a role than on screen or who's providing the infrastructure. Um, I'm sure that will come out eventually. Yeah, because Lagana is gone. Dave Lagana is gone. Maureen Tracy, who's helping out with him day to day, she's gone. Then, of course, the, the question mark, uh, Joseph Hudson had passed away. He was working on a lot of the day-to-day stuff. So it's like, who do they have now? And now I'm reading from you. Dave Marquez is not returning, so he's not helping out anymore. What's going on with that? Yeah, so, of course, he had the on-screen role of interviewing, and um, he had uh, been pretty forthright on his Twitter that um, – he was not asked to return and um, he was reflecting back on how many years he's been involved at the NWA um, through all its various permutations. Um, and he doesn't close any doors, but you know, that things are closing, which I find like a really interesting story because of the, the whole um, UWN and their pay-per-views that had a short run. And then they said they were stopping it due to COVID. Um, the NWA was so integral there. So, you know, Marquez keeps getting involved with NWA and unfortunately keeps not turning out as well as uh, many would like for him, but he's doing his own thing with the uh, championship wrestling from, as I call it. Now there's the different brands and, um, you know, I give him a lot of kudos for that. I wonder why it seemed like from what I was reading and what he was saying online, he was like surprised by it. like kind of took him back. I wonder what, what's going on there. Like what's the real deal? What's the real story? Yeah. I do. You know, I haven't seen anything come out um, outside of Marquez talking about it, but I wonder if it's you know just a different vision for um, the program. I haven't heard uh, much feedback um, on how they're, uh, first pay-per-view was in returning how the feel was for it, but I'll be interesting to uh, to learn more about that, or if it was some dissatisfaction with um, the UWN deal to have NWA name and, and talent on the show. I have no idea, but it seemed like, you know, things were wrapped up tighter than, um, than just on-screen talent at one point. I wonder why, you know, like they wouldn't just bring him back or why it was a surprise to him or if you weren't going to bring him back, why not give him the heads up? He's not coming back. It, it just seemed like to me what he wrote, he was like completely caught off guard and I don't know if he's joking around or not, but he's basically like, I can't believe, you know, I'm not, I'm not back. Yeah. I mean, you know him better than me, of course, but he seems like a, a serious guy when he's um, tweeting it and so on. And I think he's, you know, it's his business or at least um, his secondary, um, 
depending on you know his his various professions and skills, which he has many. But I think he sort of always wants it to work with the NWA, and I kind of always wanted to work for him because it would be a great story. So it's it's disappointing when when you give so much and you don't often get back too much. So the next thing up is they have a deal now with Fight TV. They pulled the, the, all the uh, clips and all the shows from YouTube, and they're specifically on Fight TV. Back for the Attack pay-per-view was on Fight TV. NBA, uh, NBA, excuse me, NWA Power will be on Fight TV. So what's the latest on Fight TV and maybe some UK distribution? No, so um, so it's interesting. Virgin Media, um, the big um, brand, you know, they have the airlines and, and all of that sort of stuff, Virgin Megastore. I don't know if those are still around. I used to go to the one in Times mm-hmm. Square. That's where I got McFoley's autograph on his book. Uh, but I digress. Um, but, um, you know, they have a, a pay-per-view arm in the, the UK, which uh, would be helpful for distribution. So um, Fight TV now has a deal with Virgin that um, they'll be able to distribute some of their programming through Virgin's outlets. Their TiVo, their V6, and Virgin TV 360 devices um, and a uh, something that would involve more social interaction. So it's interesting to see that when you partner with a company like Fight, it isn't just a, a one-off of, of streaming a television show or ordering a pay-per-view. They can use their reach and that'll help you grow, especially much more importantly for the NWA. I'd imagine AEW can probably work out similar things, but I don't want to go too far afield. I'm, I'm sure this is helpful for them as well. And in press releases discussing this, which many have not really mentioned um, in the wrestling media, that um, this is open doors for, for both promotions. Fight TV becoming bigger and bigger, right? I mean, they're kind of becoming more broad as each week kind of goes by. Yeah, their um, their reach is really growing. I I often think about their brand, and sometimes I think about oh, you know, they're ready to be like a very professional type of brand. And other times I look at the programming that they're promoting, and you know, people think of wrestling as whatever it is. Obviously, we we have a high respect for it, but then they're next promoting like slap fighting or something like that. I think it's hard to like put yourself in like. Uh, an ESPN Disney Plus fight. We have slap fighting. You know, it, it's um, you know, it, it's a hard, it's a hard thing to reckon with. Like you can only go so far, I think, depending on the brands that you're sort of attaching your your cart to. Surprised that is getting so popular that slap fighting stuff. I don't know if you noticed, but it's oddly getting popular out there. I know Fight TV is just uh, just jumping on it <laughs> with the popularity rising, but I just was like, wow, I can't believe that's actually kind of a niche sporting event, quote unquote. Yeah. Do you think Jersey will have like, um, you have to send in like the athletic commission if you're going to have amateur slap fighting in the local bar or something. Oh yeah. Oh, no doubt about it. For sure. Atlantic city is going to be all over that. Yeah. You know, probably who's cringing most would be um, Steve Carino right after uh, he had his eardrum popped. Uh, by homicide 20 years ago uh, with a slap. So it could be very dangerous. Um, the clips are are enticing. I've, I've resisted thus far diving too deep into it. Um, you know what that reminds me of? Do you remember X-Arm? X-Arm? So this would be um, uh, arm wrestling, but um, with the other hand, you wouldn't hold the podium. You were allowed to punch the other person. 
Oh, yes. Yes. <laughs> weird. Yes, I do remember that. Very, very weird. By one of the founders of the UFC. I think it was, was it Art Davies? I'm trying to remember who was kind of responsible yeah, One of those that. guys sometimes like conflate like the two or three people that are always involved in that. But, you know, there, there's something that like viscerally it's like, what's going on here? So I can definitely see these type of things making money. The next thing up that I wanted to talk to you about or you want to talk about, Limitless is encouraging gifting or jiffing. What does this actually mean? No, so I think this was a really smart move. So Limitless, as we know, they're, you know, a real buzzworthy promotion, especially for their size being and, and their market being in Maine, you know, their top 10 YouTube followers. There's always a buzz when they have a show. And, um, you know, a year or two ago with New Japan, they were like reporting people that were sharing clips or, um, or uh, Dave Sapolsky, you know, didn't want people to show clips on Twitter because then it might mean people weren't buying the WWN pay-per-views. I think Limitless is really smart. Not only are they encouraging people to do that, but they actually have a Dropbox with highlight archives. So if you're a Twitter person or Instagram or whatever it may be, and you share wrestling content, they're actually encouraging you to go through that. You don't even have to make your own and share it. And it's a really smart idea for building a buzz for the promotion further. I kind of like that. It's definitely different, but it's definitely something that is within today's you know fan. They're kind of loving the gifts and they're loving doing stuff on Twitter. I mean, it's like the ultimate interaction, the ultimate socialing, if you will. Yeah, maybe we should like encourage that when if somebody wants like copy me saying WWWF or USWA <laughs> on Prime <laughs> and they think others would find that soundbite appealing. I don't know. I, I need John's approval, but I think that would be good for like um, social interaction. Yeah, there you go. And they are, you know, one of those brands that has kind of been catching the the eye of a lot of the uh, newer fans. I feel like, you know, the Beyond Wrestling, the Limitless, Defy, that is like the um, the niche of, of that audience. They love social media and they love that kind of stuff. Yeah. You know, it's so hard to, to break through. And um, certainly, um, you know, we've seen it with uh, GCW sort of like leading the way with that. But, you know, for those promotions that do, you don't always see it in um, in the attendance or even having a television program because that might not be sort of who they're appealing to. But when they're running an iPay-Per-View or they're selling merchandise, it tends to move really well from those buzzworthy promotions because they have that engaged audience, whether it's a few hundred or, or a few thousand. As far as PEW TV usage, first of all, what is PEW research and what are they talking about with cable and satellite TV usage? Yeah, so Pew, um, I once heard a talk where somebody was talking about something totally different than wrestling, and he was, he was saying, Pew, what a name. Um, but, but they're <laughs> actually um, one of the most respected research firms um, in, the, in the world, certainly in the U.S., and they look at all sorts of data. So um, the fact that television and cable satellite usage is dropping you know, won't be a surprise to anyone listening, certainly. But the fact that Pew is covering it... Um, you know, really reinforces it and shows that it's not just some data or it's, it's certainly not anecdotal, but that, you know, this is very real and, and things are uh, very much changing. Um, so 
For example, in 2015, 76% of households received cable or satellite at home. And by 2021, 56, only 56% did. Um, and, uh, you know, a majority of those without subscriptions used to have one. So um, for those people that used to have a cable subscription, 40% no longer do. So it's not just people that grew up and said, I'm, I'm not going to get it. It's people that used to have it. So, um, you know, as we could see, uh, the trends, of course, are changing so much. Um, young adults are the most likely never to have subscribed to cable or satellite and say they can access the content they want online. That was something that I definitely had been noticing for years. It was not only is it cord cutting, but it's don't even feel you need a cord because you have so many different resources for, for content. Now, Pew, they cover basically just all of TV, cable, satellite, and their focus is just seeing you know, the trends and stuff? Like, Or what, what else do they do? They do more research than just oh, that? Oh, they'll look at anything. Like um, I heard somebody talk about um, uh, interest in religion. So, you know, people of a certain age, how involved are they in going to a house of worship versus their parents' generation versus their grandparents' generation? So anything like worthwhile, quote unquote, of conducting research on that someone will pay for it or if the study would be appealing, that Pew would do that research. So um, they're, you know, one of the most respected companies in the world that does research overall, not just um, in the media landscape. That is good because one of those things. It's like sometimes if they're just covering certain things, you know, maybe maybe they could be skewed or something. But I like that because like like when Variety does those articles and and does their research because these companies really really do their research big time, and that's just so interesting that they've dropped off so much. So it's maybe not just wrestling, but all of TV overall has dropped off so much. Yeah, and I I came up Pew. You you can feel free to to copy this. Um, you know, if they need a new tagline, it would be Pew, don't skew. Yeah, there you go. There you go. I like that. <laughs> Stick to my day job. <laughs> yeah. I just can like find it interesting. It's like, okay, you know, people are consuming their wrestling. Let's just stick to wrestling. They were consuming it differently. But do you think that's a little bit of a crutch that they use now? Like, oh, less people are watching, but we're still making so much money. You'd probably be making more money if more people were watching. And you know what I mean? There's one of those things where I don't know if, if you can, I guess due to this article, maybe you can use it as a crutch. But I feel like the people in wrestling use it too much as a crutch that, that oh, nobody's watching TV anymore. Well, specifically wrestling. Right. And I think there's two important points from that. One is that, like, you know, especially somebody like Brandon Thurston, um, you know, he compares wrestling ratings often to other sports ratings or primetime shows and, and news and so on. And you can see that the drop off hasn't been as stark. Um, and for some, they, they've held the line. So there is something about wrestling that less people are at least watching it on television. Um, and even if you say that people are watching it more online, the online revenue is less. So like you mentioned, if more people were watching on television, they could probably even make more money. But let's set aside that fact and say WWE is making more money than it ever has before, which is true. But 
Um, if you engage your audience more, you know, you would sell more merchandise, you'd sell more subscriptions, you know, when you have live events again, more live event tickets. So there's certainly room where they could be um, improving. Like, you know, when you think about it night, like something like 1995 seemed like a down year. Um, but I remember um, seeing this in PWI, actually, when they would have like the ratings comparisons, WWF versus WCW. I remember being shocked one time when I saw it that showed Undertaker versus Jeff Jarrett, and it was a 4.5 rating. And what is it these days? It's like in the ones, like one mm -hmm. and a half. Yep. So it's, it's amazing yep. how things have changed so much. Yeah, even when, like you said, the dying days of WCW, they were doing threes and stuff. <laughs> and today, you know, you're looking at like ones and, and horrible numbers. So it is one of those things where it's like wrestling has had a bigger drop off than a lot of other sports and a lot of other big time shows. I think when you really look at it, it's just crazy how much they've fallen off. But somehow, like we've talked about, somehow have been able to make money despite all that and still get billion dollar deals. Yeah, and I, I think some of the credit would go to um, to Barrios and Wilson. I think they helped position it at the time more sports-related and sort of the value of it being live programming, and that really helped with these type of renewals. Hey, don't mention those two. They, they're in bad terms with WB. Come on. <laughs> uh, you could say you could give them a blank check for their accomplishments. Yes, yes, which we've talked about in previous episodes. That is true. They were definitely looking for those playing checks. As far as the next thing you talk about, and it kind of leads me into this, we're talking about TV is down, everything else. So everyone's kind of been going to the streaming and, you know, the Netflix of the world, the Hulus of the world, they're kicking ass and taking names. What about streaming ad rates? Is that going to be more so than TV? Less? I mean, how does that work? No, it's actually really interesting because, of course, anything, you know, on the Internet um, historically has been, um, you know, much, much less per CPM, right, cost per um, a thousand or um, so the I'll just make this up. Let's say for television, you could charge twenty dollars and for YouTube, it would be like forty seven cents. Right. So. Um, now what what they're trying to do now that these big brands are wrapped up in it uh when you have an nbc universal they're trying to rebrand the streaming especially of course under their umbrellas like a peacock and try to get um premium rates so i think it's obviously it's a really smart idea you know if it works otherwise you'll have a lot of unsold inventory or a little bit of embarrassment for for trying it but like it's it's probably the right time as so many people are transitioning and you could say listen like we know our audiences and um they're watching on television and now they're engaged in streaming we have limited ads and you could be a, a premium partner so we have to see what happens with that so do you know or are you able to figure out let's say peacock what they charge for their ad rates um i don't know um but um but certainly, you know, it it has been less. I mean, it's a very young network, but they want to get it um, get it up there, sort of uh, to to a premium rate. That would be really impressive if they could get there with, you know, what they charge for primetime programming. What do you think you would be able to get as far as like ad rates for wrestling content or something on, on Peacock, rather than USA Network or Fox? A, a way better deal or you can maybe more people 
will be able to see it? Less people? What are your overall thoughts? I would guess it was going to be less people. Yeah, um, I think it would be less people. And, you know, I think the market hasn't been proven yet to get these premium rates for streaming. So I imagine it'd be less. But if it goes through this sort of disruption where they could get more, then, you know, that would be like another game changer and something really to follow as we were talking about, like with Fox and and their um, Tubi or their streaming services that they think will be bigger than, um, you know, than their networks. With that, though, and you're, you know, you're paying less rates, does that mean that the companies that are doing the ads will be less likely to be on USA or Fox and just do it on the network or do it on Peacock because it's cheaper to them? Do you think that is going to be kind of a shift? They'll go more niche and they'll go directly to who they think the consumer is going to be and just go for the cheaper ad rate? I think um, when these you know, these big corporations have been smart that they have multiple platforms. And I think for a while, they'll try to keep them connected until, you know, something distinguishes itself that streaming is much more valuable or a better bang for the buck or something like that. But when you're buying media, maybe to say that you get these premium hours on Fox prime time, you also get these hours on Tubi, uh, or, you know, on NBC, USA, and um, and Peacock. Now, the next thing up, let's talk a little bit about Snickers and WrestleMania. Is there some sort of corporate risk for Snickers here? Yes. Yeah, so, you know, as, as they experienced um, years ago, there's always some risk when you're sponsoring something, especially that's controversial, like WWE. Um, you know, when they had the, um, the uh, fabulous Moolah um, Battle Royal, uh, you know, they, they were a little bit embarrassed later. And, um, but now, you know, not only do you have the Hulk Hogan, Titus O'Neil um, being the co-hosts of WrestleMania, whereas, of course, for those that don't know the backstory, Hulk Hogan had been taped using uh, racist language, um, derogatory towards African-Americans and um, uh, he had to leave the company and they brought him back slowly. Um, Titus O'Neil um, at that time said when Hogan apologized to the locker room, they found it disingenuous. So it was like a little bit awkward or on the nose that they sort of teamed them up as co-hosts. Maybe people didn't think about it or they thought it would be a good idea. Um, but, you know, now that we know that, that it's not going to be 45,000 each night, at WrestleMania, we know it'll be 25,000. I think the risk of having a super spreader event um, would be mitigated. Um, looked like they're doing it as safely as possible. Um, but, you know, if it does come out that this was the event, you know, Snickers is, is right there and all the advertisements and linked as a sponsor. So I think sponsoring a live event that has some risk involved in it um, for a corporation that's careful about its image you know there's a risk that comes with that do you think that snickers is going to be you know making a wise choice just in general sponsoring shows and i always kind of think about that they sponsor shows that are no longer on pay-per-view they're literally just for the million two million whatever it is subscribers of that channel you think that's a little bit of a kind of like not a dumb thing to do but like a little bit of a weaker 
ad to do? I mean, wouldn't you rather do it like on a big pay-per-view or on, on USA Network or Fox or on a TV show? I think for WWE, just because they're so good at branding or at least like um, repeating branding that, you know, you could watch no Peacock, no pay-per-views and you would know that Snickers is presenting WrestleMania just because of the way that they um, they reinforce it. Um, even I was looking at uh, my um, Survivor Series 96 program um, and you could still see, karate, you know, Karate Fighters is on there on the cover. I don't even know if the toy line exists anymore, but the name and the brand lives on. So if you have a product that resonates with wrestling fans, I think you'll definitely get the word out. You just have to be careful because there's always a controversy around the corner or, you know, something tragic that hits, unfortunately, every year or two that, you know, you have to be careful of it where it's less likely to happen, you know, in sponsoring an NHL team or, or championship game. The thing is, I guess, I mean, you're, you're definitely right in that because that's true because it could be Snickers is going to uh, sponsor Mania, but they always, always mention it. You're right. So it's like they beat you over the head with it. So the, I guess it is kind of smart in a way because you're right. Karate Fighters is not that Karate Fighters is great, but that's still on there. And I'm sure Snickers will be on the uh, programs and they're always mentioned on Raw. Like, oh, by the way, WrestleMania is brought to you by Snickers. Yeah. So, yeah, that is true. I guess that is kind of smart in a way because you're getting more bang for your buck because they're going to mention it over and over and over. And you're going to be the sponsor on all the programs and things, too. Yeah, and sometimes they even get their people from journalists or reporters who are interviewing them um, from Sportico. The uh, interviewer was, he had a WWE belt over his shoulder and he was eating a Snickers while talking to Stephanie McMahon. So, of course, look at that. You know, of course, we all like wrestling um, to to be doing podcasts and, you know, writing articles and and things like that, but you kind of want to be somewhat objective. Uh, when when conducting these interviews, otherwise it's it could be a little bit embarrassing. As far as um, the the just the risk for Snickers, is WrestleMania going to be thought of? I don't know as a big event this year, or is it going to kind of be like last year, where it's like, wow, that's it, that was WrestleMania? Or is the twenty five thousand live fans going to have an effect? I think just because we haven't seen something like that, at least stateside in so long that you know it will feel special even if you know they'll probably do it in a smart way where they'll it won't be the the empty seats that are shiny or something they'll probably put like um, black covers over it or cases on it um, do something interesting like that um, to make it look better on television but twenty-five thousand people in a stadium to see wrestling it's such a unique thing that we haven't seen in a while that it will feel special. Whereas just having in the performance center, you know, it was kind of depressing. I heard that Vince McMahon was very interested in what they did at the Super Bowl with those um, cardboard cutouts on the seats because you kind of can't tell from far away when they show those wide shots that it's just a cardboard cutout of a fan, not an actual fan or an empty seat. So I wonder if they might go that route as well. What would be fun is if like they go deep into their archives of, of um, characters and wrestlers or like WWE Encyclopedia make like a cutout of like every single performer that's been part of the company. And you have like Hillbilly Jim and like Eddie Gilbert, <laughs> you know, that would see, you see them each in, in, uh, in a different seat. I like that. What about some super fans? What about getting maybe Vladimir or Ringside Charlie, getting them 
you know, right up uh, like where they used to be. Okay, get them those good seats, but obviously be carpool cutouts. Oh yeah, that would be great. And like you'd have for um, Bailey's match. I, I forgot the name of her number one fan, but like have like fifty cutouts of her. Like oh yeah, out. yep. Forget her name. Yep. It's just uh, kind of interesting that all of a sudden he went from twenty or for forty five, which we were talking about, down to twenty five. Somebody got in his ear. Yeah, I don't know if it was like misrepresented at some point or you know, smarter heads prevailed as, as they say, um, you know, you see Dana White, he's just like, he just wants to run full arenas for the UFC and uh, um, make as much money as possible. So WWE has definitely been, been smarter about things, which we'll talk about in a moment in terms of their community engagement. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about girl up, which is of course a part of their WWE community engagement. Like you mentioned, what is girl up? What is this all about? No, so it's, um, you know, it seems like a nice initiative, certainly as part of Women's History Month, um, Women's Empowerment, Lead Like Her. So be unapologetically you this Women's History Month and lead like her with Girl Up uh, for ways to get involved in promoting gender equity in your community, which I 100% agree with. I think it's a great initiative. It's just, you know, for fans, it just seems like very on the nose as we know, like how the industry has been. But you know, I think these sort of initiatives are very important to Stephanie McMahon, whether they're inherently for her or for branding marketing purposes. I think it's a, a smart way for the company to embrace it just every once in a while. Um, you know, the creative or, you know, management kind of gets in their way. There's a story that had been breaking the last few days about one of the backstage um interviewers i i don't recall her charlie caruso i don't know what the actual story is but it just kind of smacks to me a little bit of like if it wasn't a woman you know that didn't make mistakes like they said she has heat in the locker room so what does that mean we'll often find that in the past i have no idea what the story is now in the past attractive women seem to um get more uh, people angry, get people riled up and given less leeway as opposed to men in the company. I hope that that's not the actual story or the case, but it's just sort of things like that. I, I look at closely like what's going on. Is this all a Stephanie McMahon thing or is this a PR thing? Who's kind of spearheading a lot of this WB community stuff? Yeah, if it's not Stephanie, um, she's certainly at the forefront of it. Like, um, you know, if you follow her on LinkedIn, um, like, it's all about, like, women's empowerment and her her podcast. Hey, Stephanie, we're open to a crossover uh, <laughs> about her podcast, about women, women who lead, women in business, women in sports. Um, they have a lot of HR initiatives for women. Um she just did an interview where she's talking about having been the only woman woman at uh, the table where with all these men and how she held her own. So, you know, although they might, you know, they do some of that on television, especially like when they're talking to the business world and like outward facing community activities, they're very, very big on it. The next thing, of course, is Women's History Month. WB, you know that they're all about it. What's going on with Women's History Month and WB crossover? Yes. Yeah, so, of course, um, this is a um, more of an internal thing, but they they promote it on LinkedIn. So it's not they're not just doing it for the employees. They're doing it for how it looks, of course. So 
WWE employees have the opportunity to participate in multiple events and initiatives in honor of Women's History Month. Um, the Affinity Group, which is sort of their women's initiative internally, is hosting an event with uh, organizations like Dress for Success, which is something I'm familiar with. It's actually a great organization where uh, women who can't afford interview attire, they actually have like a whole um, uh, a whole studio or, or whole um, boutique where uh, people can get down, go down and get fitted, and, like really treated very nicely to gain, gain confidence for their interview. So I think that's a great thing that they're doing that. Um, they're also teaming up with organizations like Girl Up, United Nations Foundation, and Lead Like Her. So it's, you know, it's more of the same. Is this again, is Stephanie McMahon behind this or? Yeah, that, that's really the feeling that I have, or at least she's always the face. I'm, I'm sure she has her um, administrators. Um, or executives that are supporting and, and doing the groundwork for these things, but but she is uh, she's there for that. Um, there's also somebody named um, oh actually sorry that's that's with the company. So she's been at the forefront. I've seen one or two other WWE names, and also when you look at the executives that they hire, especially outside of um, you know creative, especially like of course uh, Bruce Pritchard and. Paul Heyman and Eric Bischoff before then and so on. Um, but with, with the other divisions, many times I would say women are overrepresented, um, you know, the last uh, last couple of years. Uh, not say over in a negative way, but mean that, you know, a lot more women than you would say is it, it would be even between men and women. So they really are pushing um, for that. The WB... Under Stephanie, I forget her exact quote, but it was something like along the lines of all the companies in the future will all be a part of like a branding initiative to also include charity. I forget the way she worded it, but like everything that she does now will have something to do with charity. And that's the way that that uh, companies, especially big companies like that, are going to be in the future. It's all about kind of branding themselves as almost like a PR machine slash profit making machine you know it's she kind of worded it very weirdly but it was one of those things where like that can come off a little disingenuous if you start to do a lot of stuff and people might look at it like are you doing that for profit are you doing that for pr what's what's or are you really just good people no a hundred percent and i've been trying to think of the same quote in my mind if you get branded on the bat phone um but but uh, definitely everyone should search that up because it's out there at, at one of the conferences i think it's like social activism is the new marketing or the new pr something like that and and we have uh, a couple more of the same uh coming up here there was something man i'm trying to remember oh philanthropy is the future of marketing it's the way brands are going to win so nice. basically saying they're doing this stuff part of marketing yeah nice there you go look at that i don't know to me it's like that could sound a little disingenuous stephanie I don't know. Might come off uh, a little bit like, you know, you're you're not really doing it for the right reasons. A lot, a lot of the stuff I know that they are in some instances, Women's History Month, Girl Up, things like that. But you never know sometimes, you know, it, it just kind of makes them look good, maybe corporately. But are they really caring about what they're doing? You don't you never know. No, I, and the most important thing I would say I learned in college was, um, you know, freshman year, an intro class. And the point of it was that corporations are built 
to bring value to their shareholders, whether public or private. And that helped me with the lens of like, if they're doing something for good, they have to figure out how does it translate into monetarily and what makes it worth their while. So hmm. whenever you're looking at a company like WWE or any corporation, when they're giving back or they're donating, you know, what, why are they doing it? It's a great question. You never truly know. But as far as some other things we wanted to talk about, the UNICEF and Genuine Partnerships also part of the WWE community. Yeah, so this was a great one talking about sort of trying to figure out how genuine they are. Um, South by Southwest, of course, is remote this year, but there was a lot of online conferences. So Stephanie and Kofi Kingston um, were two members of a panel that was also staffed by the chief marketing officer of UNICEF and um, a uh, moderator from Forbes. Um, so, you know, that genuine partnership that they do do a lot of good, which we'll talk about, you know, another story about that too, but sort of like how genuine is it? And ultimately, whatever reason they're doing it for, if it does something good, then that's a positive. But seeing it with UNICEF and um, of course the organization overall has a really good reputation, but I, I saw an interesting article recently about somebody that was sort of the cover person for UNICEF, sort of like she said, they were taking my picture for, for many years and um, putting my face like um, everywhere. And she became a, a model, um, but she was unique because she wears a, a hijab and, um, you know, her face was sort of shared all over the world um, because she was a model, but she's also uh, a person of faith and, and religious. Um, and she kind of felt like as she grew up, like, you know, is this organization exploitative? So like, you know, maybe you think like, okay, well, if this organization, you know, has some of those challenges, what about the WWE? So, you know, I think it just shows that the world is murky, like even organizations where they do good, sometimes not everything is good or who are the people behind it sometimes. And, you know, you just have to think not everything is good. Not everything is bad. The Khan family isn't perfect and the McMahons aren't evil, you know? So it's kind of like that in between um, everyone has uh, different shades of gray. Yeah. That's, that's very, very interesting. Yeah. Never truly know that if, if, like we're saying, being genuine or, or not. But another thing that, that they have done in the past and they had a good a partnership with, and we mentioned it before, was the Special Olympics. And we kind of were saying, well, they were using an old picture in their promotional and marketing, but they still do have a, a good relationship and good rapport with the Special Olympics, which is always a good thing to be a part of. Yes, and this goes back to our Trump Mania podcast days where um, Connecticut was a, a special host for the Special Olympics, and at least Linda was on the board, maybe Linda and Vince, in the mid-90s. And, um, you know, outwardly, the Special Olympics has been uh, an organization that WWE has always um, treated respectfully and, and promoted, and now they're doing something called School of Strength. So, um of course, you know, all different people can't get out there and exercise, but this um, 
program on the Special Olympics website is, is uh, marketed especially to Special Olympians, um, as well as people, of course, with um, various disabilities or challenges um, to engage with. And it's Drew McIntyre that's the superstar that I haven't watched the videos, but you know, he walks people through the exercises or keeps it interesting so that people get good exercise, which is great. I think it has been a number of years since WWE has candidly made fun of people with disabilities or um or have um you know learning challenges i think it would probably go back to eugene and um uh, festus and, and those sort of things unfortunately but i think that they've learned from there at least they've they've learned to be more careful and it's not something that's been part of the programming for a long long time yeah you never know as far as like them with with the special olympics because you said and we've talked about this before in Tromania, we talked about this before on this show sometimes they'll do the eugenes and stuff and then corporately they'll they'll talk it up and really talk about how great it is to be partnering with them and then kind of make fun of them on, on the other hand so uh, i think they're past that though i yeah, i hope <laughs> anyway yeah. i hope so uh wwe tends to be a number of years behind but even they have seemed to caught up have been caught up for the most part the next thing is i guess an editorial job over at peacock well, what's going on here a platform editorial job yeah so uh, my joke was be the change that you want to see in the world so everyone's complaining about sort of you know immediately once wwe migrated to peacock sort of what's growing on here so they're hiring a manager of platform editorial um responsible for publishing live streams curating collections and playlists and identifying high-performance highlights from the WD's vast and growing library. Um, they're seeking a cool-headed, detail-oriented operator who is adept at managing the ebb and flow of a massive schedule and extensive video pipeline. So I just wanted to share that, as I'm sure uh, for many people, it appears that it would be a dream job. Sometimes working for um, entertainment companies, it's not uh, what you imagine it to be once you're there, but um, it was interesting to see, especially interesting, was that this is a Peacock job. This is not a WWE job. So WWE is actually not only benefiting from Peacock money for rights, but they need less employees to manage something like the network because this is actually Peacock that's curating this content. Yeah, that's an interesting thing all the way around because Peacock is the one that's going to have to put the man hours in after they just bought the thing or, you know, really licensed it for five years. Now they need some help. Or maybe lobby, maybe you could step up to the plate. Yeah, it's, it sounds like fun. Uh, but then when they're like, well, we need you to put in another 25 hours this weekend, get get two minutes of highlights. <laughs> You're like, so I want to go home with my family. You know, it's, I think it's a certain, certain time of life and, um, uh, it's most appealing when it's your main focus. It's a little bit more challenging, I'd say, when you have other things going on. Now, this is an actual paid job, right? This is not an internship, right? This is a paid job here for for Peacock. Yeah, you don't have to collect Venmo. Um, <laughs> hopefully, we'll get that story later. But it's not volunteering for Venmo payment. This is an actual real-to-life job with benefits because it's with Peacock. You're not an independent contractor. I wonder the pay. Does it does it get into that or no? As far um, as you look, no. This is my field, like professionally. So I, 
I can't guess at a at a rate, but you could sort of tell the way that jobs are listed. So, okay, at least three years of experience. So kind of junior level, but not just out of college. Uh, manage ever-changing content pipeline, presentation skills, very small team. Okay, so a little bit of management skills. Um, it'll be in New York or LA, so the salary has to be a little bit higher. Uh, minimum wage in New York now is $15 an hour, so that's low 30s. So I would say mm, high 40s to uh, to mid 50s would be my guess. Right, not too bad. Not too bad. Um, it's just interesting that WB is probably like, well, we don't have to hire people. We, we can even probably get rid of some people. We can really start to profit outside of just the billion dollars we can maybe either put somebody in onto something else or just have them be gone altogether and save some money while peacock continues to spend on people that needs to curate and put up the content and load the content and everything else so just a, a win-win for WWE all the way around yeah no I'm, i i had looked at the time and um i won't be able to do a, a full evaluation right now but um but just looking at like wwe network you know you see people whose roles you know had transitioned there some people in the past they've done this now they're doing this not everyone a lot of people still have wwe network titles so it'll be interesting to see in a few weeks um you know what that says hopefully they'll be at the company doing uh, doing something else there is a survey out from the warner company called ring leaders what is this survey all about yeah, so I'll probably get myself kicked off <laughs> of their system because I don't think they expect you to like to talk about it so much. But at some point, I was offered or found um, this uh, survey service. I'm, I'm part of, I guess, um, you know, a group that generally gets surveyed every once in a while, which is run by Turner Broadcast Systems called Ringleaders. Obviously, their connections are to AEW, but they don't market themselves as such meaning like the branding on their website is just like generic looking wrestling and so on or, or different companies. So the most recent one was like AEW surveying, like which wrestler do you love or do you hate and so on. So I was like tweeting Chris Jericho. I'm sorry I had to say I don't like you. Um, <laughs> he didn't respond, but sort of like, am I, am I helping with the booking with this? So it's interesting. Like what I find most interesting about it is that they're not, like not that they're trying to hide it necessarily but they're not saying that hey we're we're ringleaders um we're turner we're affiliated with AEW, but more just that they're surveying wrestling fans like they'll say what wrestling show do you watch most and they'll list all the programming they're a little bit behind because they listed lucha underground um uh, maybe they're thinking about mlw's similar re relaunch but um, you know, I usually have fun with it every few months that it comes to my inbox. What is going on with them trying to keep it private, though? Is it supposed to be uh, totally private or does it really not matter? I don't know if like it's a standard for the industry. Like if let's say you were Pfizer and um, you were their at, like their main like pharmaceutical advertising company and Pfizer was your main client and you'd be surveying people. What do you think about? Pfizer and what other whatever other Johnson Johnson drugs like if you would need to say that you're doing it on behalf 
of Pfizer or you don't. Maybe that's just a different standard than I'm used to in that industry. That's just so funny that who is kind of leading this survey? Is it like, does Tony Khan putting this thing out? Like, who do you like the most? Who you who do you want to follow the most? Do you who do you like a little? Who do you love to hate? Like all that stuff. Who's actually doing that? Who's actually the one spearheading these surveys from like behind the scenes? Yeah, I don't feel like it's AEW. Like if it was, it would be like probably Chris Harrington. Um, but sorry, I don't mean to drag you into this, Chris, but um, call him up. Call them up. Yeah, I don't feel like I don't feel like that is what they're doing. I feel like it's more like um, Turner. This is what they do, like whatever industries. Maybe they do one about basketball, right, with the NBA and TNT, and um, you know they just learn more. And I'm sure they share it in some way with AEW, but I don't think it's like it's a completely linked, like smooth process. It's more they'll share. Oh, you know, we surveyed. 5,000 people and, you know, here's the results and we think this will be helpful to you or we're suggesting you do this, give more airtime to MJF because people said they love to hate him or something. It's just, uh, to me, it's like, wow, look at this thing. It, it, does, it doesn't seem like it would come from AEW just when you look at it just because it's almost so, like, generic, you know, like there's no way like an actual wrestling person would, would think like you love to hate. Do you like him? What do you think about this person? Right. I always think back to those like WCW surveys you hear about where they asked uh, fans what they liked or what was missing. And then they completely went the other way. Yes. Hey, look at current wrestling now uh, with um, the variety article. It doesn't seem like they listen at all to that. Yeah. Yeah. No. Um, sometimes you know like hearing something you don't want to hear makes you sort of like be more resistant and to show people uh that you're not going to listen now let's go on to the next subject at hand ring of honor sinclair local affiliate synergy what does this mean so this has been going on for of course ever since sinclair bought ring of honor where sinclair owns all these local affiliates and then they have generally underpaid um, broadcasters unfortunately um, that's been a long story out there in the news but they'll bring on someone that they kind of have no idea who they are and then do a local interview with them and either it's just for that market or they'll bicycle it around to a number of Sinclair affiliates so there's one I saw recently where NBC10's Artie Teft introduced us to Dak Draper of one of the stars of ROH. And it's kind of, it's a little bit funny because um, the broadcaster, he was, he was just reading from his laptop. Um, like he was, I don't know if they were on Zoom or whatever, maybe he was like reading the questions on his laptop and Dake was answering it. But like, I don't know how many, like you, you give people a little bit of a name kind of getting out there. Like you're on a program that's probably watched decently locally, but I'm not sure how much that translates to business. Yes. Interesting the way that, that, uh, I don't know, like sometimes you think it could translate to business and then other times you're like, I wonder if that really does or doesn't. Yeah. I feel like the type that helped was like on Regis and Kelly or, um, uh, you know, when they'd have like Rick Rude, although that, that one didn't seem to, go that, that well mm. but like i would watch that with my grandma like 
she liked that show. I loved wrestling. And when like the Ultimate Warrior was on or whomever, or Randy Savage, it was awesome because it was like you'd have these two worlds colliding and we could both enjoy it in different ways. Yeah, good call. So you were talking before, we were talking about Dave Marquez and championship wrestling from championship wrestling on Plex. What's going on? Yeah, so I guess Plex will become part of our weekly uh, um you know, name drops or, or brands, um, because last week we talked about Ring of Honor appearing on Plex. So, um, you know, I have all these different keywords set up. So uh, Championship Wrestling from Hollywood, um, you know, is, is also on Plex. I think on one of the Spanish language stations that they distributed on, but in one of their press releases, they made sure to, to note it. I had to like go to Google Translate to make sure I had the right promotion um, but it was interesting to see that they're sort of getting out there in that way. And I think that's really smart of Championship Wrestling from Hollywood to have Spanish language versions of their programming. Um, there's a lot of independent stations that are Spanish language only and um, coming to them with a unique show like that really helps you to expand your footprint. So not only on a... Um, platform like Plex, but also, you know, in terms of local independent stations. A Lucha restaurant is for sale. What is yeah. going on with a famed Lucha Libre style restaurant Mexicano? Yes. In Vancouver, La Cantina, famed for murals of luchadors, is selling for $99,000. And, um, I thought the pictures on there were actually um, really nicely done. So it's just interesting to show that like outside of the wrestling business completely, you know, Lucha Libre continues to resonate and um, you know, it's part of a selling point in trying to sell a restaurant. There's actually a, um, a place down the hill from me that was uh, using Lucha Libre images on their wall. And every time I walked past it, when I was coming back from work, I was like, I have to go in and get a selfie. Like, and this was for weeks. And then eventually it closed. And I was like, oh man, I missed my opportunity. So I guess the article resonated with me in that way. I, I had a uh, Spanish themed restaurant, not that far from me. It was open for only a couple of years, but it had all these awesome masks all over the place and a lot of like Lucha Libre stuff. It was really, really cool. Wish it just stuck around longer. I feel like it's a spot it was in, nothing lasted. I mean, they had another restaurant, a seafood place. Um, they had like a nightclub there. Like nothing would last. It was like a weird spot or a weird area. I was just hoping the Lucha Libre theme restaurant would last, and it just didn't, unfortunately. Oh, that's too bad. I think, um, you know, if you had a chance to get to know them, you know, you could have co-branded and brought in some talent, and that would have been cool, like uh, connect the two worlds. Man, it would be, uh, I don't know, like one of those things where it's like, man, this is such a cool place. I wish it could just stay here and maintain this popularity. It just it's one of those things. Maybe you don't go there all the time. It's like, wow, this is cool as hell. Lucha Libre in, in mixed in the culture in you know New Jersey of all places. It's pretty cool. Yeah. Sometimes people open up businesses where you like, you hope it'll work out, but you kind of know it won't. Um, I think restaurants have a better chance of success. But I remember during like, wrestling boom late 90s early 2000s somebody opened up a wrestling collector's store in um in westchester um and it was sort of like it was a little bit off the beaten path like right before you get to a big shopping district 
like you'd pass it so you can like pull in their parking lot. And I bought a couple of posters and so on. I wanted to support them, but I was like, how many people are going to be coming in here and like, you know, how much business do they need to do? And unfortunately it didn't last too long. Now UFC is going public. What's going on here? Yeah. So their, uh, their um, parent company, Endeavor, who owns, of course, the majority of the UFC, uh, I think it was a year or two ago that they looked into going public and sort of the feedback was that it wasn't such a great idea, but now they seem like they're really going for it. I think, you know, the most interesting part for wrestling is if they break it out as such, you know, if the UFC is looked at as its own division, or if there's a way of figuring it out, that you can compare the different metrics and earnings and revenue streams to a WWE, just because the business models are um, fairly similar. The, I don't know, going public, WWE did it obviously many, many years ago. Is that a good thing or necessarily a bad thing or something that should be done, has to be done? What do you think about that? I mean, it brings like, for whoever is invested in the company, it certainly brings you know, a lot of money in. I'm not sure for like a media company that a lot of their business is like live events and such that it's going to be met so well. It was kind of a, a tepid response before. So, yeah, it's usually a good idea if you're willing to cede some control of the company and be like public, right? You know, everyone's scrutinizing and everyone wants things to grow. I mean, it is a very corporate company, so I don't think that's as much of a concern, but usually is the timing, right? You can release shares later, but you can only go public for the first time once. Um, so you have to have it timed right. And the first time it wasn't, maybe it'll be better this time for them. Now, is there any topics you wanted to cover this week that we didn't? Because there are still so many other topics to cover. I mean, I feel like there's about 10 or 12 more that we could even get into, but I don't want to go too crazy and make this uh, show too long this week. But is there anything pressing that needs to get out there right now? No. So just something that my eyes were more open to this week, and I'd love to to learn from you as a uh, as a convention organizer and somebody that's really um, deeply connected to so many aspects of the business. Like for me, like learning about the pro wrestling collectible market more recently has been pretty fascinating. You know, I always knew that, you know, um, some VHS tapes or um, certainly cards could be collectibles or autographs, but so many things are more collectible than I ever assumed. So one of the things that I had tweeted out <laughs> was my Survivor Series 96 program. You know, I kind of had it shoved mm -hmm. in a box. Like, and I know how to keep things well, like I collect the comic books. So I have those safely, but I was like, okay, whatever, a program from the 90s. You know, the ones from the 60s or 70s must be worth something. But like from 1996, like how much could it be worth? And I'm not sure what somebody would buy it for, but on eBay, there's only two for sale and one is $600 and one is $1,200. So I was like kicking myself for, um, for not treating it better. And, you know, I was surprised to see that certain t-shirts, you know, if they're in good condition, uh, not the Barry Horowitz that I'd wear every day and like get stained, but like certain ones, if it's the right t-shirt, it's really collectible. So I just want to learn from you. What have you noticed about the collector market, either in person or online? What are you hearing? And it just goes up and up and up. And I noticed like just, just from the last year or so, I feel like so many things have gone up. 
I, it's just insane to think like, okay, magazines are, are crazy. People are going crazy for magazines. Anything collectible wrestling, people just get so invested and so into it. You're right. Those programs are crazy some of the stuff and it, let's just say you have like a jcp program or something from like a great american bash people go nuts for that stuff and then if you have some signatures on it forget it. i mean that could just like kind of put it through the roof so i just noticed that the market is just getting bigger and bigger and bigger as far as wrestling and collectors and just it could be posters even oh wow it's a rare poster it's like oh that's a japan something japanese or a wbf thing but they also made it japanese or or the green card hasbros or there's so many different things that are just so uh, ultimate warrior ljn in the box man these wrestling things these wrestling fans are very nutty but in, in a good way yeah i think um you know one of the things that i was noticing is that not necessarily if it's old but if somebody connects to it from their own childhood or maybe just before mm -hmm. like, they yep. think about it as being special like so you might not be as interested in like wwf program with don leo jonathan but like the rocks debut like yeah you know the rock now so so that mm -hmm. might be more appealing so trying to get a a good handle on it and treat the stuff that i have better for my big payoff one day yeah it's funny like uh, i had a couple friends of mine asking oh would you sell that would you sell that i like now nah. like oh don't be a mark sell it sell it like i had the 96 Survivor Series program as well. I have the 94 WrestleMania 10 program, but just some stuff I just don't want to sell. I have the WrestleMania 15 chair with the, you know, the ticket with the hat and everything else. I just said, you know, I just, I don't want to sell it. Maybe, maybe I'm just being a total mark and wanting to keep it. Maybe I should sell it for the money because you can definitely get a fair chunk of change for it. But for some reason, I just, I just want to keep it. I, I love it. I like my wrestling memorabilia and collectibles. Yeah, and um, the the one that I actually did pay money for, like in terms of like as a collector, was for a while I was into the rare wrestling books. So I paid for an original copy of Fall Guys, uh, a few hundred dollars. Although now I see you could get it cheaper, but I won a um, a thing at work to lose the most weight, and I knew I was in bad shape then, and I. Used to do a little amateur wrestling, um, so I knew I could lose the weight. So I was like, "Oh, this will be easy." So, um, <laughs> so I ended up spending it on that and and treating uh, myself. I also have Hooker, but before it was like thought of as a collectible book, I just bought it, you know, on Amazon. Nice. I know the Gary Hart book is worth a ton of money, as well. Yeah. Um, just because of the scarcity of it i remember seeing the other one i'm not sure if it's still considered very collectible where you had um uh like learn learn to wrestle and um i forgot who was the the british guy from roh um Doug nigel, nigel. So, oh, nigel yeah he was on the cover of that book and i remember seeing that for a while just because it was rare like for a few hundred dollars and i was like thinking oh i remember seeing that <laughs> um, in barnes and nobles or wherever just to also throw it out there, Mad Maxine, hopefully, I haven't gotten her yet, but hopefully will be a future guest. And it's interesting. She had sent me that article that you put here from the Washington Post that she's now you know, a novel writer, writer, she does some journalism, but really um, kind of focusing in on the 80s when she wrestled as Mad Maxine. And I just thought that was interesting with the training under Moolah and stuff. And I had just recently spoken to her trying to connect for an interview, and then I saw you post that on um, our little board here and i was like wow that's uh, kind of a strange coincidence nice yeah I, I i always like to see wrestlers sort of getting out there in different ways and 
not only using, utilizing the brand, but other creative energies, because sometimes it's hard to, to rebrand yourself. So let's get into the plugs. I think on future episodes, we will definitely have a lot to cover that we didn't cover this week as far as just random topics from all across professional wrestling. But you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Two Man Power Trip. Lavi, what about you? Yeah, follow me on Twitter, LaviMarg, L-A-V-I-E-M-A-R-G. Um, check out my website, lioncubjobsearch.com. At the top or near the top should be the whole archives of this show if you want to get your masters in the business of the business. And um, check out my books on Amazon.com. And of course, you can check out my website, tmptempire.com. Check me out over on Patreon, patreon.com backslash tmptempire. Lavi, what do we got for next week? Oh, uh, well, we have a lot of notes uh, ahead of us. Wanted to talk a little bit more Triller. Uh, Want to talk a little bit about the uh, Rhodes Academy. Um, Dustin Rhodes, you know, streaming his, um, I don't know if you call it a graduation ceremony, but sort of a... Um, a showcase of his wrestlers and how that went over on YouTube. I think that's a great idea for content and, um, you know, not something you would often imagine from a wrestling school, but Rocky Mountain Pro has had some success streaming their training as well on uh, Twitch. Nice. Good stuff. I'd like to thank everybody for joining us this week. We'll see you right back here next week on the business of the business. See you next week, folks. This has been a John Paz Power Trip production in conjunction with the Two Man Power Trip of Wrestling. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Two Man Power Trip. You can check us out on Facebook. You can subscribe on YouTube. You can go to patreon.com slash TMPT Empire to become a patron. And also check out the website tmptempire.com and buy a shirt at prowrestlingtees.com. Two Man Power Trip, where the power lies brother.